I think I might just ask my question. I get the texting. Um, all right, our second uh, reading tonight is taken from Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six to thirty-one. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth." and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning of the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing and so on the seventh day he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Well, we're starting a new series tonight on the theme, the topic of work. This is not what we normally do. Normally, as a church, we're committed to reading scripture chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and working through the books of the Bible systematically, but once in a while we do a topical talk, topical series, or what we call a doctrinal talk, or doctrinal series, which is to look at what the whole Bible says on that one topic. So over the next three weeks we'll be spending time on the topic, on the doctrine of work. Now just to flag to you, we'll be doing some Bible flipping, so three books to get your fingers ready, Genesis we'll look at, Ecclesiastes and the Gospel of John. Okay, so get that ready, and I'll, I do want you to be looking down at your Bibles as well. But again, let's, let's pray and ask that God will help inform us, inform us how we are to think about this big topic of work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the topic of work and how we spend so much of our time involved and invested in work, we pray that you'll help us think about work in the right way, in a way that would honour you, and help us to think also of the ultimate goal of work, from creation to new creation. And we pray that you'll make that clear to us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever thought about why humans work? Is it necessary to work? Is it okay to not work at all? Is that an okay life, to not work? What about the question of the value of work? What is the value of my work? Are some work more valuable than others? Are are those health professionals, their work, more important than the artists? How would you compare it? What about the work of the politician compared to the desk clerk? Is that work more important? 
And then the question of the purpose of work. What is the purpose of work? Why do we work? Is it just to put bread on the table to pay the bills or is it so that we can enjoy, have fun, be content? And what about the eternal value of my work? Bridges that I built, will they be in heaven? Will there be any eternal significance of those things that I design and make in this world? And what about the question of calling, my, my calling? What is my calling? How are we meant to think about that? Big question. And also the question about gospel work, uh, the work of the Lord compared to secular work. Is it different? Is there a distinction? Or from God's perspective, is it all the same? So these are the many questions that we'll be exploring over the next three weeks. Today we'll only look at some of them. Now my hope is that over these three weeks, our, our minds and our thinking about work will be radically transformed by what we understand from, from what God teaches us from the Bible. So we want to be thinking deep. So it will be a lot of hard thinking tonight, thinking uh, theologically, biblically, Okay, because we want to think rightly about work. We spend so much of our time at work. Now, work is something we want to get right. And just so you get an idea of how much time an average person spends at work, these are some stats I found. The average person will spend 25 years sleeping. If they live to 75, they'll spend 25 years of their life sleeping. 1.1 years cleaning, some more than others, 2.5 2.5 years cooking, that's a lot. 3.66 years eating, three months in traffic, one and a half years in the bathroom, some gender more than others perhaps, and the average person spends 90,000 hours at work. That's over 10 years taking out any sleeping time, 10 years back to back at work. That's a lot. And so if we spend so much of our time at work, we want to think rightly about how we spend this time. And so tonight in the first of this series, what we'll be doing tonight is we're going to take a big picture of work. We're going to step back and sort of see the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to the new creation. So we're actually thinking deep and theologically tonight. Big picture of the theology, the doctrine of works. That's what we'll be doing. Next week, what we'll be doing is we'll actually look a bit more closely at some passages and think about, well, how do we work to the glory of God? What does that mean? How do I work as a doctor, as an accountant to the glory of God? That's next week. And then in the final week, we'll be considering the topic of the work of the Lord or gospel work. Is that different to other types of work? Is there a priority in the gospel? So that will be the third week. Okay, so tonight in the first of this series. Now when I do talk about work throughout this series, I need to make this clear. I don't only mean paid type of work. There are unpaid type of work which are also work and hard work as well. And so you've heard people ask, you know, young mothers the question, so what do you do for work? And as they answer often, they say, well, I don't work, I'm just a mum. I'm just a housewife. Now, I do want you to hear this, especially if that is you. You are not just a mum. You're not just a housewife. I mean, being a mother, being someone who raises children, that is hard work. It is work in God's eyes. Managing the household, keeping it in order, that is hard work and that is work in God's eyes. So I want you to hear that. Work, paid or unpaid, work the same. 
And Yvonne, she knows that I know that work at home is hard, raising children is hard. And so about a month ago when uh, I left for Turkey for three weeks, I said to Yvonne, it's not a holiday, Yvonne, it's hard work. It'll be a study tour. I will be working hard. And then she said to me, well, let's swap. (laughs) And that's because she knows that I know that working at home is really hard work. So I just want to make that clear to you up front for this series. When I do talk about work, paid, unpaid, work the same. So tonight we're focusing on the big picture of work. Why do humans work in the first place? What's the big deal about work? Well, to answer this, we need to go right to the very beginning and we see that work is good. To work is a good thing for us to do. And so let's turn our Bibles to Genesis. We're going to look at a few of the verses. Work right at the very beginning is a good thing. We are reflecting God who also worked. We are reflecting God when we work. And so you know the story of creation. God created the whole universe in six days. On the seventh day he rested. And when God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, he did not create them so that they can lie on a hammock and drink lattes and have coconuts and cocktails and just laze around. God did not create Adam and Eve to just be lazy and idle. Rather, they were created to work, to rule, to work by ruling, to work by exercising dominion over the world that God has given them. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so part of what it means to be made in the image of God, to be like God, It means to rule, to exercise dominion and authority over the world. But rule not as dictators to consume and abuse the world. Rule in the sense of caring, loving, nurturing the world. And so verse 28 we read, God goes on to say, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God did not say, Be fruitful, increase, Um, uh, rip off the earth, corrupt the earth. No, he says subdue it, fill it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds. And so God wants human beings to work by exercising authority, dominion over the world. And that's part of the creation mandate. Work is good. God worked, God made human beings to work. That's the creation mandate. Humanity is meant to be productive, not be idle, to be useful, to care, to love, to nurture the world. And so to work is bound up with exercising dominion over the world. It is the creation mandate. All got that so far? And so that is why when even today, when we are idle, it's actually not a good thing. And so many of you can relate to this. Those of you who are looking for work, can't find work, it's actually quite depressing, isn't it? When you don't have work to do, it can be quite dehumanising, quite... Uh, demoralising if you don't have work because we were made for work. We experience that today. If we don't have work, it is tough. Idleness is not joy. You know, laziness is not fun. We were made to work. It is stressful to not work. And so work at the very beginning was good. 
We were made to work and work at the very beginning in chapter 1 was easy. It was fruitful. It was joyful. And it was a God-mandated thing. But of course, when we get to chapter 3, things turned upside down. That type of work, that type of good, easy, fruitful type of work was short-lived. Certainly not our experience anymore. Work is no longer that easy and that fruitful. And so what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Well, Adam and Eve, they decided that what God mandated was not good enough. And so they pit themselves up against God. They became God's rival. I will rule this world my way, God. I will exercise dominion my way. I don't want to listen to you. I'll take care of the world my way. And so Adam and Eve, in doing that, rebelled against God, became God's rival, and that is what we call sin. And so what happened there to the nature of work? Well, the nature of work changed. You see, what was meant to be joyful, easy, fruitful, tending the garden, effortless work, what happened? Well, have a look. Genesis now, chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. What happened to work? Well, curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. I mean, that's the tragic turn around with work. It was fruitful and easy and satisfying and fulfilling. Now it's hard work, it's burdensome, it's toil. That is what has happened early on by Genesis 3. And what was meant to be a delight for women in childbirth, meant to be great joy. What happened there? Look at verse 16. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. And so what was meant to be a source of great joy is now marred by intense pain and stacks of screaming. It is hard work for women now and men. And so now this is the nature of work. It was good, now it is marred by toil, burden, hard work. It is frustrating, it is painful and people feel defeated by their work. And that's the tension of work from Genesis 3 and that's the tension today with work. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's joyful, fulfilling, sometimes it's depressing and debilitating. I mean, think about my own work as a minister. It's meant to be filled with joy, working, doing the stuff for God, but sometimes, you know what, as a minister, it is frustrating, it is hard work, it is annoying, and sometimes some work is just pointless, like rostering is so hard and annoying, but... But you see, work has been cursed by chapter 3. It's become frustrating. But then why do people work there? If it's so difficult, so tough, what is the purpose of work? Well, broadly speaking, there are three common reasons people would like to give for the purpose of work. The first one is for fulfilment, to get a sense of satisfaction, of accomplishment. The second one is for consumption, so that I can get more stuff, buy more stuff, have more fun. And the third one is for reputation, for honour, for prestige, for power. And so let's consider these common purposes for work that people have. Let's consider now, so we're moving along. Genesis, it was good, was destroyed and cursed. 
Now we move to Ecclesiastes. So turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Here we consider King Solomon, king over Israel. Now this king, he undertook all sorts of projects for his own fulfilment, for his own satisfaction. And so look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. Ecclesiastes 2, 4 to 6. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water grooves of flourishing trees. And then now turn your eye to verse 10. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labour. And so Solomon, after his massive building projects, he felt satisfied, he felt fulfilled, he felt like he's accomplished something, he felt like I can sleep at night now. And today it's really no different, that's what we seek from our work, isn't it? That sense of satisfaction, it's meant to give me a sense of fulfilment. Now imagine if you were doing these type of jobs where they will give you that same sense of fulfilment. There's a type of job where you sit there and watch paint dry. That's a real job observing the changing colours and particles of the paint as it dries. I mean, if that is your job, by the end of the day, would you say, man, I achieved so much today. The paint dried. Now, if you get that type of job, you'll probably change, especially the Gen Y and Z and whatever we're up to now. Or this job, a dog food tester. Eating doggy treats chewing bones, liver mixtures to see if it passed the taste test. At the end of the day, will you feel satisfied, fulfilled? Man, I feel so fulfilled. The dog food tastes so good. I mean, what happens today is that when I'm not satisfied with my job, when I'm not feeling fulfilled with my job, I change jobs, right? I change jobs. And so that's what we see. But then what was Solomon's conclusion after all his work, after all he accomplished Well, look now at chapter 2, verse 11. Next verse. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So he was seeking fulfilment and he thought he received that, but by the end he was left feeling empty. And it's the same idea with seeing the purpose of work just to consume so that I can buy more, so that I can own more, so that I can play more, so that I can go more places. Now look at Solomon again. Chapter 2 now, verses 7 and 8. Look at what he consumed, what he got. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. And then look at verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. He worked to consume, to enjoy. And it's in a sense what we like to see our jobs as doing for us today, denying our eyes nothing. We work more so that we can earn more, so that we can get richer, wealthier, get more comfortable. 
so that we can buy the branded chips instead of the Woolies brand, so that we can shop at, you know, the branded clothing stores like Louis Vuitton or Hermes instead of Daiso. Now, now just so you know, there's actually um, disposable underwear you can buy at Daiso. Excellent for holidays, but anyway. <laughs> so that I can fly first-class Qantas instead of cattle-class Tiger Air, so that I can drive a, a BM, uh, a Mercedes instead of a Toyota. I work more so that I can consume more, and the more I work, the more I consume. But then how did Solomon conclude after he amassed all this wealth? I mean, he was far more wealthy than any one of us. And what was his, his conclusion? Chapter 2, verse 18. Have a look with me. I hated all the things I had told for under the sun. He hated it because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And so Solomon so far, thinking work will give him fulfilment and satisfaction, left him feeling empty. Solomon so far, thinking that consuming, that that will be good for him, give him contentment, but left him dissatisfied. Well, the final reason why many people work is for reputation, for honour, for power, it's my sense of self-worth, it's my ranking in society, what I do. And so Solomon, after what he achieved, what was he able to say? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Solomon saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I've done so much, I've risen to the rank of king. It's the reason why, even if you think about today, the billionaires of the world today continue to work. They don't stop working when they become a billionaire. It's really not to get more money, you see. It's so that they've got plenty of money for many lifetimes. It's often to do with reputation, with power, with prestige. Donald Trump is a billionaire. What did he once say? He said this, Money was never a big motivation for me except as a way to keep score. The real excitement is playing the game. We wanted the power, the prestige of winning. And even today, I suspect even amongst us here, if we think about us, those sitting around us, I suspect there's a subconscious ranking because of the jobs we do, because of the courses we study. Oh, you're a... Now, this is not to... Uh, speak negatively of whatever jobs you are, but I suspect some of you will be doing this. Lawyer, you're a lawyer. Or you're a, a doctor or a specialist or a surgeon. Well, you must have a higher social ranking than me because you get paid more. Or your, your, your job is to hold those slow down signs at construction sites. Oh, I wish you have a good life. Yeah, they do, they do. As a younger perhaps more sinful man during my early years working as an engineer, when people ask me, so what do you do? I would say just sheepishly, I'm an engineer. And then often they'll always ask, well, what type of engineer? And and, and then I'll say, you know, sort of quietly, aerospace. And they will respond, wow. And inside I'm thinking, yes, that's the response I want because I'm not a mechanical engineer or a water engineer or a civil engineer. You see, it's that inner subconscious ranking in society. I'm better. 
But how wrong that is. How wrong that is. Well, how did Solomon conclude here after achieving so much fame and prestige? Chapter 2, verse 16, look at what he says. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. Death equalises everyone. It equalises everyone. And so, in a sense, you can sense Solomon's frustration here. So what? So what I made it to king? So what if I amass all that wealth? So so what if I made all those bridges and buildings and palaces and temples? So what? You get a sense of his frustration. He was looking for fulfilment, but yet he found emptiness. He was looking to consume more and more, but he found dissatisfaction. He was looking for reputation, honour, prestige, but he found insecurity. Now, you see what that is meant to teach us about work? Do do you know what that is meant to help us see about work? Though we were made to work, human beings, we are meant to work, work has its limit. It is limited in what it can achieve. It is limited in its purpose. There's a ceiling that work cannot go beyond. There's a wall that work cannot break. It is limited in what it can do. And so no matter how much we work or how hard we work, no amount of technological advances can secure for any of us lasting joy. The iPhone, it will be good for about two minutes and then it's old again. No amount of diplomacy can achieve world peace. No amount of medical advances can reverse the curse of death. No amount of work can restore this broken world. And so in one sense, if you think about work, big picture, if you think about work, we as a ma- humankind, as humanity, we have failed in our creation mandate, failed to rule as we must, Fail to exercise dominion as we should. Fail to subdue the earth as we were commanded. We do get glimpses of humanity ruling well, but ultimately humanity, mankind, has failed in our creation mandate. Whatever we do, however hard we work, it has a limit. And so if we think about work like this, big picture, what's God's solution? What will God do about it? We, we, we're not really fulfilling what we're meant to. What will God do? Well, what did God do? Well, when we turn now to the pages of the New Testament, one came along, so turn to the Gospel of John now, one came along who did perfectly the work of God, who fulfilled the creation mandate. Jesus is, comes along. Now turn to John chapter 4, verse 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus comes along and he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There is one human being who does work and does it perfectly, who fulfills the creation mandate. And this Jesus, how did he do that? It was through his life, through his teachings, through his miracles. He's showing us that. But ultimately, how did Jesus finish the work of God? Oh, it's ultimately on the cross, on the cross of Christ. And if you think about that, this is quite profound. 
The cross of Christ was where Jesus finished the work of God but it was also the great display of human work. What did we do? What did we do when God entered into human history? What did we do to the Son of Man who came and walked with us in this world? Well, we tore his body. We whipped him. We spat on him. We crucified him. When God came, we killed him. We crucified our maker. That's the work of human beings. It is limited. In fact, it is so morally corrupt that we would do such a thing. That that really is the culmination of human work. But yet in that work, Jesus did the work of God. He was able at the cross, because of the cross, achieve dominion over the world, over the universe. Jesus was able to fulfil that creation mandate. He was able to, through his work, not our work, our work's limited, but through his work, restore creation. He will bring about the peace that our diplomats want. He will bring about the reversal of death that our doctors can never achieve. Jesus achieves all that. And what he also does is he redeems people, redeems people to himself. And so what we're seeing is that Jesus is the one who ultimately accomplishes the mandate of creation. And so how does that change our thinking about work? Remember, we're just thinking about work big picture today. What does it do? What are we then to work for because of this now? Well, what the gospel does is is that it revolutionises the way we think about work. Now look at what Jesus says. So John still, chapter 6, turn to chapter 6 with me and look at verse 27. This is the type of work we should be focusing on, Jesus tells us. Chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils. That is, don't just just think about your work as consuming and consuming and getting more and more and more. Don't think about work that way. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So do you see what Jesus is saying there? Don't just work so that you can consume and consume and be left dissatisfied in the end anyway. Work for this type of food that endures to eternal life. And how do you get that? How do you get eternal life? How do you work for eternal life? Well, look now, a few verses down, chapter 6, verse 29. Chapter 6, verse 29. The work of God is this. The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. That is how you get eternal life. That is how you get food that endures eternal life. What's the work? Well, it's not really work at all. It is just to believe in the one he has sent. It is to believe in Jesus. And so Jesus is helping us to see here, there is stuff, there is work that you can have, food that you can have, that will last beyond the grave. And that is the work of God's stuff that we'll consider in more detail in our third talk. But do you see what this does here with our understanding of work? It was good, broken, corrupted because of human rebellion. And so life now works, sometimes good, but totally unfulfilling, dissatisfying. That is the nature of work. Who comes along? Jesus comes along, fixes up, restores through his work, the work of God dying for us and because of that he now invites us to enjoy what he accomplished to enjoy what he has done for us and so what this does then 
is that God's plan, it makes clear to us that God's plan for our lives is not about our nine to five jobs. God's big plan for our lives is not about our nine to five jobs or 24 hour job if you're a full time mum. God's plan and desire for us is not necessarily to find the cure for cancer or to build the best perfect bridge or to paint the best painting or to manage the nation's economy. God's big plan for us primarily is that we find our identity and life in Christ Jesus. That is the work of God. Believe in him and you'll find your identity and life in him. And see, this revolutionises how we see work. What it does is three things and I'll end with three implications. It gives us a new perspective on work. That's the first thing. Secondly, it gives us a new identity. And thirdly, it gives us a new future. And so let's consider that, a new perspective. You see, what the gospel does is, with work now, we can see in a new light, new perspective. My life is not about my job. My work is not my life. There is more to life than just working. That is not the be-all and end-all. You see, there are implications. And so, if I don't get the promotion I long for and work so hard for and desire, it's actually not the end of the world. There's more important things to worry about. If I don't get paid enough, it's not the end of the world. It's not the be on end. There's more important things to worry about. If I don't find satisfaction with my job, it's not the end of the world. It's not the most important thing. Now, this is a quote I heard from Philip Jensen and it's an excellent quote worth remembering. I don't live for work. I work to live, but I live for Christ. I'll say that again. I don't live to work. I work to live, but I live for Christ. It's wonderful, isn't it? It puts work in perspective. If, if work is all-consuming, that's all it's, uh, my life's all about, then I'm missing the point. And so the Gospel gives us a new perspective on work. We must still work. It is necessary. We must still work. But when work is tough and frustrating and toilsome and burdensome, well, we should expect that. In this time, in this life, we should still expect that. That's the tension of work we live in, in this fallen world. In fact, a recent survey showed that 80% of Australians, 80% of workers find their job dissatisfying. That's huge, isn't it? But we should expect that. It is a fallen world. But then when we do find that our work is good and satisfying and fulfilling, well, we must praise God for that. That's not the norm. If you do enjoy your job that much and find it fulfilling, you're in the top 5% of the world. That is God's gracious gift. And so that's the first thing. A new perspective on work is not the be on end all. My life is not just about working. Secondly, the gospel gives us a new identity. You see, the, work, the way the world thinks is that our worth and our value as a person is tied to what I do. And so you hear people say, so tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a, an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm an engineer, I'm a plumber. You see, we identify ourselves by what we do and that is where we get our worth, our value from. But this changes everything. The gospel changes everything. You see, the 
the, the health worker, the health services worker, is no more valuable than the plumber in God's eyes. The, the, um, uh, the uh, plumber and the, what is it, the ball boy, that was the other example. The ball boy is no less important than the lawyer because what happens is that they get their new identity by being in Christ. And so this makes sense of those who don't get paid for their work. Often we put value with how much you're paid and so the higher you're paid, the more valuable you are. But then what about those who don't get paid at all for their work? Are they less valuable? Well, of course not, like the mothers. And so you see the gospel changes everything because when you do the work of God, you get a new identity. When you believe in Jesus, you get a new identity and that is you become a son or daughter of God, the God of the universe. That is who you are. And so in a sense we don't answer, I'm a, I'm a by my career first, I'm a minister, I'm an engineer. No, I'm a Christian. I'm the son of the living God. That is who I am. That is where I draw my value and worth from because I belong to him. And so when you understand your identity in that way, not tied to your job, actually frees you to work freely, frees you to work without seeking a reputation or seeking power. It frees you to do your work freely. And so that's the second thing. Finally, what the gospel does is that it secures for us a new future and a different future, a future that the Bible describes as rest. The new creation is described as a place of overwhelming rest. Just as God rested on the seventh day, he invites us to enjoy his rest. And so the toil and frustration and depression and stress of work, that will become a thing of the past. And so I'll end with this verse from Revelation. We started in Genesis and we'll end here. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour. They will rest from their labour. And so first things first, life is not about work. There is more and now we have this. Consider not what you do but where you'll be. Where you'll be. Well, let me pray. There's more coming in following weeks. I'll pray and then I'll pass it to Ian. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... The Lord Jesus, though our works are limited, they cannot restore this world to the way it's meant to, but we thank you that because of Jesus, he restores creation, he redeems us and he draws us to the new creation where there will be eternal rest. And we thank you, Lord, that this work really just means believing in Jesus and we pray that that might be true for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And back to Ian. come up on the screen and he's going to attempt to answer them. You might have more questions but you can ask him later at, uh, out the back. But the first question we've got is with reference to 1 Thessalonians 4, 11-12, is it preferable to, lead, to be self-employed? And that's talking about living a quiet life, not being dependent on others. You can have a quick look at that if you'd like, John. Yeah. Um, just from memory, I, I haven't um, studied this one in detail, but we will. We're doing one Thessalonians next. I suspect it means just don't be a burden on anyone else. You work, you, you work, you earn, and you live. 
So you, you don't live to work, you work to live. That quote again. Yep, so that's that. The second question. If mankind was made to work, what is the place of retirement or long holidays? Yeah, I have this joke with Yvonne. I mean, if you're in ministry, in fact, everyone, every Christian should be in ministry. You never retire. You shouldn't retire. You continue to work hard. And a great example is our session clerk. He's retired, but he's continued to serve, working. It doesn't mean paid work. You see, work means paid or unpaid. And so, in a sense, as Christians, as we'll get to in a third talk, we shouldn't retire. We continue to work and serve and love and do what we can. Thanks, John. That's all we've got. But if you've got more questions, ask John later. Talk amongst yourselves about work and the place of work in your life. We're going to sing again before we close and um, thanks, musicians. Please stand. So you're going to